Count down from five and then we'll be on I YouTube. lost count. <laughs> five was too difficult. I think we're at five now. You think we're live now? I hope so. All right. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to tell you guys about what was happening in the green room. My name is Sarah Isger. It Welcome was your to fault, Dispatch Sarah. It was your live. fault. It was not sure. entirely my fault. <laughs> Steve Hayes is here. Jonah Goldberg, David French. We've got the crew, the OGs, and I I really old is the emphasis there. Uh, back together. And instead of actually planning what we were going to talk about tonight, we didn't. Uh, we talked about <laughs> Diet Dr. Pepper, Chick-fil-A, and eating Lucky Charms as an adult for dinner. Um so here we are, and there's plenty to talk about. Steve, you were texting uh, us earlier. We have a little text chain going on, um, like the kids do. And there was some a breaking news story from the Washington Post. Let me just read the headline, because I have some thoughts, but I think you have some thoughts, and I think that could be an interesting place to start. So the headline is, Justice Department investigating Trump's actions in January 6th criminal probe. Um, lots of reporting. The byline is long. There's like four or five of the Washington Post best reporters on it. Um, it's a source by four people familiar with the investigation. And while they note that there's been reporting about a lot of the investigatory steps that they've taken with people around Trump, Giuliani, Eastman, Clark, um, it says the degree of prosecutors' interest in Trump's actions has not been previously reported. Uh, Steve, you're not the only person who has sent this to me in the last 30 minutes. This feels very 2017 in the sense it's like one of those stories that everyone in, in sort of reporter circles is sending around saying, how real is this? What is this? So uh, you sent it. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... First of all, since we at the dispatch don't like to do hot takes, I think it's appropriate that you caveated it a little bit with this sounds a little bit like 2017. I will add to your caveat by saying the story broke roughly an hour ago. There's a ton we don't know. There's a ton we're going to learn. So I think we will all avoid sweeping conclusions about it. But having said that, as you pointed out, these are very good reporters for the Washington Post. Um, I think their report fills in the details of something that most people assume. Um, yeah. I, I think with, when, you, when you look at the, the reports over the past few days that Mark Short, the vice president's chief of staff, and Fred Jacobs' lawyer, had testified before a grand jury, um, you kept hearing um, uh, references to other investigations. Um, for a while, I think people thought that meant uh, the Department of Homeland Security IG investigation of the Secret Service. There are all sorts of um, stories about other investigations, and we knew that the Department of Justice was, was doing some investigating of something. Uh, I think most people, you and David, I think, talked about the possibility that this was about fake electors. Um, I think that's what uh, a lot of people who had sort of read the TVs believed. believed. I I think what this my my very cautious uh, first impression take on this is, if they're right, I suspect they are. Uh, this lets us understand that this is a much bigger investigation. Um, I, I think there were indications. We've done some reporting. I've actually done some reporting. I know. Stop the presses. 
uh, I've been waiting to use. No, no, really start the presses. Start there. Wait, fair. we let our chief technology officer do reporting? That seems weird to me. I can, I can take our Spanish wine views. critic. This is, you knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. Um, well, as an aside, as you may have read in the morning dispatch the other day, we've added an executive editor. We've promoted somebody to COO. Um, I'm hoping to free myself up a little bit more to do some reporting. I've already started. I've kind of jumped the gun. I've been eager to do it. So I've been doing some reporting around the January 6th committee, around these DOJ investigations. And the more people you talk to, the more you hear references to other investigations. Um, I think we're likely to learn in the coming days a lot more about this now that the Washington Post has sort of cracked the seal. Um, and I think we'll learn that this is a much bigger investigation. We have no idea what DOJ has. We don't know what it means. Um, to, to a lot to be determined. Okay, so let me bring my biases to the frontier, which is that I forever will have Mueller PTSD. Uh, I was obviously a DOJ for the entirety of the Mueller investigation. I, um, I quit basically the day they finished the report, not the day it was publicly released, but internally finished. Um, and so, and not I was the head of public. Not that's not a connected thing, correct? It's connected in the sense that I wanted to see it through, not connected right. in the sense that I was like, oh, F you this. Stormed out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It was like the whole point was for me to to stay to sort of um it was part of the integrity of the investigation, right? That everyone who had sort of been there was going to see it through. In my public affairs role. I had news stories like this. I mean, y'all probably remember reading them. Like every day at four o'clock, there would be some news story, breaking news, DOJ is doing X, Y, or Z and is about to bring down the president. And this news story to me looks so familiar to that, right? Four people familiar. We've reported some of this before, but here's the part that's new. So let me tell you, at least from the Mueller perspective, what was going on. Maybe it's the same thing going on now. Maybe it's not, right? I'm not there. I don't know. But I do think it's relevant what I experienced during Mueller because it looks so similar. Um, A, people familiar almost always meant attorneys for witnesses who were being uh, deposed or interviewed by prosecutors. Uh, rarely, if ever, did it reference an actual person who worked at DOJ who knew what was going on in the investigation from the DOJ side. But of course, someone familiar with the investigation could like, yep, an attorney who's sitting there for an interview is familiar with the investigation in some sense. Um, <clears throat> two, imagine you have eight hours with a witness, you're going to ask them all sorts of stuff. And so yeah, you're going to ask them a lot of things about Donald Trump, whether or not you are pursuing it, because what if they tell you, oh yeah, Donald Trump told me to murder that guy? Well, okay, now you're going to pursue it if they tell you that, but asking the question alone isn't really evidence of anything. The Department of Justice, you know, doesn't confirm or deny investigations, yada, yada, y'all all know that, but they do take public investigatory steps. There's public filings, there's search warrants, all of these things which are public. And that's the tea leaves that I was begging people to read during the course of Mueller and everyone didn't want to because instead they would get these little juicy nuggets about how the president was about to be taken down. Um, and so I would say in this case, it, it does look really similar to me in the sense that I can put together a totally valid scenario that makes all of that reporting accurate and changes nothing about what I already thought the department was looking into, which is those fraud statutes 
federal fraud statutes related to the fake electors, obstruction of government process, uh, fraud on the U.S. government, obviously some lying. Um, you know, I think the more interesting thing that we haven't seen anything about is the obstruction stuff. No DOJ investigatory steps that we've seen on obstruction charges, nothing on incitement. And frankly, even with this story, I just don't see the steps um, in, you know, toward the president, except the stuff we already knew, which is they're looking at the people around the president. That in and of itself is a huge deal. Um, but that doesn't, I don't know, this, this didn't feel like much of a bombshell to me because of that. David? Um, so I would be surprised if they were not asking questions that would implicate the president. Right. Like, okay. So <laughs> that'd be weird so if they just stayed that, away from the topic entirely. <laughs> that would be weird to me. So <laughs> the fact that they are asking questions that would lead, say, attorneys for some of the witnesses brought in to say, wait a minute, they're looking at Donald Trump is totally the DOJ to me doing its job. Right. And there's reason for the DOJ to ask about Donald Trump. We have enough knowledge in the public domain to know there's reason to ask about Donald Trump. How much did he know about the fake electors. Um, there's a lot of questions around Georgia and the pressure put on Brad Raffensperger. There's there's a lot there. Uh, is there any evidence? We still don't have it. Is there any evidence of communication between the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers in the White House up running up to January 6th? What about Bannon and Trump? There's all kinds of things we don't know. And so I do want to say, one, this is the DOJ doing its job, given what we know. Number two, as we know from the Mueller investigation, that investigating the president is not always a prelude to indicting the president. Um, and number three, and this is something that I want to ask Sarah a question about, real, just real fast. Um, what impact, I, I'm in my mind, what impact does this have on Donald Trump's presidential decision and, and yeah. the timing of it? Because my question is this, and so Sarah, you're, let's pretend you're advice. It's bizarre. We're in the multiverse, and it's your evil twin. Uh huh. Uh, not Sarah Isger. Dara Prisger is uh -huh. advising multiverse <laughs> Donald Trump, and you're trying to figure out a strategy for avoiding indictment. Would you tell him to go ahead and announce sooner rather than later to raise an additional political barrier to? any kind of indictment because it's just tougher politically to indict the actual front runner for the GOP nomination, CEG Hillary Clinton 2016. I mean, you know, the answer for this, there's 27 reasons why I would advise Donald Trump to announce before the midterm elections. That's just one of them, frankly. And mm. for those who want sort of the background on here, there is a DOJ protocol. It's not a regulation. They are not bound by this. But generally speaking, DOJ tries not to um, take public investigatory steps that would include an indictment, a search warrant, things like that, um, after Labor Day, really, uh, before an election year. Now, in the primaries, I mean, it all is a little fuzzy, right? Um, you may remember that two Republican congressmen were indicted in 2018 in August. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so <laughs> Labor Day can come at you fast. Um, so David's asking, basically, if he announces in mid-September, does it basically block them from doing anything because of that internal protocol? I mean, yes and no. Like, if DOJ knows you're announcing from the office to not get indicted, I'm not sure how much they'd honor that. Um, but look, 
he needs to get ahead of Ron DeSantis, who can't announce until after he wins in Florida. Um, he's already probably violating, not probably, I mean, he's like almost certainly violating the federal election code in terms of running for office without actually saying he's running for office, which would trigger all of these legal regulations. And then yes, why not thumb your nose at DOJ and say, come at me, bro. Um, and announce like, again, there's like 27 reasons that he should and almost certainly will announce beforehand. Uh, Jonah, there's we oh, I forgot I was on this show. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> we call this sort of thing in at least my friend group. I don't know what you guys call it. Um, resistance wine mom porn. <laughs> uh, no, that's not what I call it in my group. Um, okay. <laughs> um, though I may start. Um, yeah, so I'm a couple thoughts. One, I totally take to heart your PTSD from the Mueller years. And, um, and I, and I think your points about the sourcing on the thing are very well taken. At the same time, we should just, you know, acknowledge that it's a very different story than what Mueller was looking into. Right. I mean, um, why? Because we actually know that the thing happened versus in Mueller, we did not know whether the president had actually worked with, illegally worked with any foreign country on the 2016 campaign? For starters, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, like it seems to me like we know, look, we know. And like, uh, if you guys want to, if people want to send me emails saying we don't know, <laughs> we know that Trump <laughs> essentially tried to steal the election, right? What we don't know is how sophisticated it was, whether or not, it meets Liz Cheney's seven point thing about this going with that and the Framfra connected to the Queen Astray and vests have no sleeves and all that. But we all know what <laughs> Trump tried to do, right? We know this. This is not mm -hmm. some secret. Everybody knows this. Oh, Jonah is a resistance wine mom. I no, 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 but we know it. Look, <laughs> I mean, look, we know it. No you know sleeves. it. I, don't I understand. I understand that you got to get to play, you know, the uh, devil's advocate here, but we know this, right? I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like, no, you're right. And yeah. so, again, we don't know that it was a sophisticated thing. We don't know that Trump was just sort of saying, Will we don't know some... we met the elements for the crime. Exactly. Of Will someone rid me of this yeah. troublesome priest? Yada, yes. yada, yada. Right. We yes. don't know. That's all fine. But we, in spirit, we know we did something wrong. And all of the people that the DOJ needs to interview, for the most part, are U.S. citizens who live in the greater Washington, D.C. area. So, like, so you're true. never going to get Putin to talk to the grand jury. Right. But like you can get these other people to do it. And and the nature of the crime, our alleged crime is different. Also, I would argue that the, the necessity of charge criminally charging is different. I mean, like I, I that's a different question where that's good for the country. So it's just a different thing, even if there are elements in terms of the reporting and, and the leaking and all that that are similar. The other thing I would say is and I know I'm kind of obsessive about this is can we now throw the last shovel of dirt on the grave of this whole criminal referral narrative from the January 6th committee. It is just the <laughs> dumbest friggin' thing at this point, because the criminal referral would lead to under the best possible circumstances, what the Washington post reported is already happening. And the, what the media wanted was the next chapter. They wanted the, the, the thing, the, the cliffhanger, the season premiere, the thing that, you know, oh, this is going to be renewed for next year kind of storyline. And that's why they cared about the criminal referral stuff. 
they got that today. So like, let's drop this idea that the criminal referral is the essential part of investigating Trump criminally. Again, whether or not he should be investigated, investigated criminally. Um, I guess I can stop there, but I could rant more if you like. <laughs> uh, I want to read a quick question because I think it's, um, it's relevant from Chris Hall. With the miasma of accusations surrounding Donald Trump, does the impetus rise for Ron DeSantis to enter the race as soon as possible uh, after his November gubernatorial win, as, again, assuming he wins, which is a fair assumption right now, at least. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Does Ron DeSantis get in at all? Um, I'll save what Bizarro Sarah advises Ron DeSantis for at the end. <laughs> right, can, I, can I pick up on this? Because this dovetails with something else. There's a lot of weird political advice flying around and not just from Bizarro Sarah. Um, I don't know guys, if you guys saw that tweet from Ari Fleischer last week, I think it was last week, where he said Trump would be dumb to announce before the midterms. He should announce on the anniversary of January 6th because yeah, yeah. he's going to get all, all the media attention anyway. And I stared at that thing <laughs> like it was a dolly painting upside down, trying to figure out what the hell this guy and the other than like some sort of galaxy brain sort of thing to keep Trump from from actually announcing before the midterms, um, you know, sort of like Mick Mulvaney writing what Trump should do in the Wall Street Journal to keep Trump from doing what he ended up doing like unless it's some sort of trump management thing it's just the craziest friggin' idea but there's a lot of that kind of stuff going around um on desantis that ari ari has a new book out oh is that what it is so then i i'm not i'm not i'm not suggesting motives i mean i suppose i sort of am suggesting motives there's a new book out uh he's in the news oh that's right i did see that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe it's um is it titled sort of like like the O.J. Simpson thing? If I advised him, <laughs> um, anyway. So like, on DeSantis, he it would be really in poor taste to win re-election as governor and like at the swearing-in ceremony, so then say, and that's why I'm running for president. But um, I'm a big believer. But... I'm a big believer that when the iron is hot in politics, you go for it because politics is entirely about moments. And if you wait your turn, people could fall out of love with you. So I think people say, I heard, I heard people saying on the Sunday shows, oh, he can run in 2028. No, he can't. Like, you can't count on that. You know, Chris Christie missed his window. Mm -hmm. Lots of people missed their windows. When the country thinks you're inevitable or you're, this is your moment, you go for it. And so I think it'd be really dumb of him not to run in 2024. Okay, so Steve, uh, this worked this out both ways, right? DeSantis announces and then Trump announces. Looks very different to me. That's Donald Trump then um, mm -hmm. taking on Ron DeSantis rather than Donald Trump is in the race, massively leading in the polls, and then every Republican has to decide whether they are actually going to like, what, a, what David will know the term, like, you know, when you like, go up against someone <laughs> bro up no it's bow like there's up. a word for it. if you're bow gonna up. bow up yeah. bow up are you gonna bow up <laughs> against bow trump bow i knew david bow would know up. This. Bow up? Yes. really yeah. not like square up or yeah it's like bow like up yeah 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 it's like square up never yeah. heard of it you've never, never heard, heard of bow up david is so down with the lingo yeah uh so it looks very different um and 
At the same time, you have polling that is so wildly different than any Republican field that we've seen ever. Donald Trump at 50%, Ron DeSantis at 25%, and everyone else in single digits. But like Mike Pence couldn't look more like he's running for president. Sure. He's been to Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, three times a piece at minimum. Some of those now he's doubled up on. He's endorsing candidates. He said today, he's like, I don't think Donald Trump and I disagree on any policy. We just disagree on focus, maybe. Oh, really? That's that's the point of disagreement? That's why you've endorsed <laughs> totally different candidates in Georgia right. and Arizona? So, I, see, this is like a 17-part question. Um, what does Ron DeSantis do? Are we going to have 17 candidates again in the Republican field? Um, and then does that just hand it to Donald Trump? In which case, why would Ron DeSantis get in if there's 17 candidates and he can't actually capitalize on that 25%. Yeah, so I, I'm going to save my controversial point to the end and then launch it and just drop it in to see Jonah and David <laughs> go after it like chum in the water. Um, <laughs> I like it. So the first point, your first question assumes that Donald Trump doesn't announce before December, before November, right? Before the midterms. Because if he does, I mean, Ron DeSantis can't announce now, right? Okay. He can announce after he wins re-election. He can announce the next day. I agree it will it would look a little strange uh if you announced the next day i want to be your governor of florida and then literally the next day i want to be your president of america would <laughs> would seem strange i think he'd, he'd get some grief for it and would deserve to get some grief for it um and for those who are just curious how this generally works i mean most campaigns are announced uh, so carly announced on may the 4th i remember that um and we were in the middle of the pack and by middle wars i mean within, going on big star wars fan it, it was. Wow, it was... I called that before Jonah did. I yeah. know. Amazing. I wanted to see if you got it right. That's why I held I'm back. a bigger dork for this moment. <laughs> I was, I was a a waiting to see if you called it Star Jonah. Trek. Yeah. The Peloton actually <laughs> announces sort of April to June ish. Now they announce exploratory committees, which we all treat as announcements for president in de late December, early January. That's how it's generally worked. Anyway, right. that's right. Um, so I, going back to, so I don't, I don't think DeSantis does anything soon. And I do think that there is some, I, I buy the argument that Trump should and, and will announce early if he's decided he's going to run. And I think it would have much, much more to do with um, his legal situation than his political situation. What's interesting to me, if it, let's, let's assume that the, the, the broad contents of the Washington Post story are accurate and there is an investigation that you know the, the stories we're getting out of the grand jury that there are questions involving trump there's specific questions um in, involving his activities what he was saying to people what he was doing and that the the focus of the investigation um is on trump as much as on on these fake electors um if that's the case i think he'd be crazy not to and i think he knows that he'd be crazy not to what's interesting to me is joe biden if that's true, I mean, again, Sarah, maybe you can speak to how much a president would know about such an investigation. If Trump were the target of an investigation, I would assume that the president has to be advised of that fact, generally apprised of that fact without knowing the details, but I could be wrong on that. The, the interesting thing is that Joe Biden has basically ignored Donald Trump for a long time, right? Hasn't focused on him, certainly. And in the past two days, for reasons that are unclear to me, he's really gone after Donald Trump. He's gone after him on the insurrection. He's gone after him on law and order stuff. He's gone after him on all these things. 
if your Justice Department is investigating Donald Trump, I would think as president, you'd want to be as far away from preemptive early attacks on your potential rival as possible. Because if Donald Trump were to announce, and we learn that this investigation is in fact targeting Donald Trump in some way, having Joe Biden attack Donald Trump when Donald Trump is running against Joe Biden would seem to me uh, unwise in the extreme. It is interesting, I'll just say as a side note, if you look at what Joe Biden has been saying, he's attacking Trump uh, on, on the, the insurrection, on, on this other stuff, but he's very much out of step with the argument that the January 6th committee has been making. The January 6th committee has been, has been saying, Donald Trump is responsible for this. And if you look at the three hours uh, that he didn't act, it was much more than that he didn't act. He actually wanted what we were seeing. And there's testimony to support uh, that accusation. Instead, Joe Biden is saying, Donald Trump, former president of the United States, watched January 6th happen and didn't have the spine to act. The January 6th committee, I mean, if you paid any attention to the hearings mm -hmm. at all, they're making the opposite point. They are saying he was involved up to his neck. He is responsible for this. And I think they've proved the case. I mean, I, yeah. I, there's little doubt that he was involved. This was him acting. Yeah, exactly. And, and Joe Biden is making this sort of like off um, attack. Last quick point. Um, is this the controversial point that you're saving for last? This is the controversial point. Okay. And I, I got floated back in time. It, I floated it before <laughs> and, and, and you guys freaked out. I continue to believe that if you're a Republican and you don't want Donald Trump to be the next Republican nominee and the next president, it's important that the Republican field be as big as possible. Um, yeah. The, it's important. What? One of the things that we, we haven't heard from Republicans for a long time is open criticism of Donald Trump. And if you have a field of Republicans from the most never Trump Republican you can imagine spanning across the people who worked for Trump and Trump's administration, criticizing Donald Trump on whatever grounds you can think of. Some of them will criticize him on January 6th. Some of them will criticize him on a policy issue. Some of them will criticize him for not being effective, even though he had the right policies, whatever the reason. If you're a Republican who doesn't want to see Donald Trump as the next nominee or the next president, you want as much of that as possible. And more candidates give you more of that. It's wrong. <laughs> it's interesting. I, so, I enjoyed listening so to it. Right. So this right. This is wrong. Okay. You're better off making an argument against it instead of just declaring that it's wrong. Okay. As, as it says in the Talmud, you're wrong. The rest is commentary. <laughs> now let's go with the commentary. Look, I mean, it's the same thing we went through. I mean, Sarah wasn't here before, but like, like it, it's a collective action problem again. Um, every time one of the people who attacks Trump falls away and then endorses Trump, it makes Trump look all the more uh, inevitable. Um, the more people that you have in, the more, the smaller the plurality that Trump needs to get. Um, I don't know. Take it away, Sarah and David. I, I, I yeah, It's a collective I'm, action problem the other way. It's a collective no, action mm. problem for you. Nobody's, you, you can say all you want. It would, you know, we really want Trump to have one single opponent. 
That's just you not going to happen. That's not, that's not no, like, no, that's, that's, there's but, a difference oh, between one Steve, and 15. You're also, your, your scenario is just basically synonymous with it'd be great if the entire Republican Party hated Donald Trump and said so, <laughs> which I agree with, but that's, that's not going to happen. What we do not want is a situation where he wins Iowa with 29%, wins New Hampshire with 33%, wins South Carolina sure. with 35%, and then he's on the way. Um, but then a bunch of people criticize him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. Look, the, 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 I, I, should, I should make the sort of crucial final point that I didn't make here and I made when we debated this before. Oh, the one, and the one you is, held back like your rope and strategy. Yeah, I suckered you in and now boom. Okay, and, here. Yeah, you're going to need people to get out early. But you'll say that's unrealistic and I'll say that's no more unrealistic than, than you saying we need one, one candidate. I never said just on one. Trump. Yeah, you did. Did I? Right, no. it's like a small number. Okay, fine. But like, I one I'll is a small it. number. Okay, yeah. I mean, Mike Pence needs Mike Pence is the only person with the credibility and the respect among all of these guys to get them all in a room and say, "I want to be president as much or more than any of you people." Um, and uh, that being said, if we have sixteen people in the race again, Donald Trump wins this uh, because of that plurality issue, if nothing else. And so. We have to get behind one candidate. Ron DeSantis is more than 20 points ahead of us right now. I know we all hate him personally um, and would like to run him over with our cars. But uh, if you don't want Donald Trump to be president, we all have to get behind Ron DeSantis. And I actually think what will happen in that meeting is that the vast majority of people will say we're fine with Donald Trump being president. And that's Mm. how that's going to go. And so, 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 by the way, I I think a lot of them are going to run anyway. By the way, someone said, do I still stand by my bet that Trump will be the 2024 GOP nominee? Absolutely. Looking forward to that steak Steak dinner dinner. from Steve. Steak dinner. So can I I, think Trump's going to be the Republican nominee, and I don't think Biden's going to be the Democratic nominee. Can I float my (laughs) – can I float my – Double or nothing? Yeah. Can I float my better – my better theory than Steve's? The Dwayne Johnson okay. theory? No, the Dwayne Johnson theory is the ultimate – it's the uber theory, but we'll, we'll, we'll table that for now. Okay. okay. The prime that what I really want is Trump not. I don't think I can have, I can't have nice things. So he's going to run. What I want him to do is I want him to declare first so that everyone who declares after is just directly, there is no ambiguity that they are taking him on. I think that changes the dynamic. Okay. Then if he, if they uh, declare and then Trump joins, but if Trump declares, <laughs> And they are they're taking him directly on. There's sort of no way to pull the Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio thing that went on for so long, which was we're not going to attack Donald Trump because one of us is going to inherit all of his followers when he spontaneously combusts. Um, that's just not a dynamic that's going to work. So, David, let me give you the scenario <laughs> because this is what I actually think is most likely to happen. Donald Trump announces soon, whatever, September, October, something like that. Uh, after November, Liz Cheney, Larry Hogan, like <laughs> this parade of people who are polling below 1% will announce and they will go after Donald Trump. And then it's going to be this weird, will they, won't they for the Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, Ron DeSantis crowd. Um, and it, Donald Trump becomes the nominee that way. I just don't, 
I don't see any other way around it. Ex I, what I would advise Ron DeSantis to do, by the way, since I said I would actually, Bizarro Sarah would say that. Um, uh, I think if he announces right after November, it's such a head-to-head -head shot that if 16 other people get in the race, I, I just don't see how Ron DeSantis wins with 16 other people and Trump in the race. So instead, I'm, I can't believe this, but I might actually try something closer to the Giuliani 2008 strategy and get in at the end. Work for uh, Rudy. I, exactly. It was such a great strategy in 2008. <laughs> uh, the idea being- And it drove him crazy. The loss drove him crazy. Something did. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the idea being that you see whether Trump has any weakness, you see whether these other candidates sort of flounder in some respect, and then you get in, but, and then you don't also don't have to get in. You can just decide that, nope, Trump looks pretty good. This race is too big. There is no avenue to have a head to head with Trump and you stay out of it. Even though I totally think Jonah's right. That like, if you don't strike while the iron's hot, your moment could be gone in four years. I mean, so let me, the, I well, two, two, ahead, two quick things. One is, I mean, the key to the Giuliani strategy was taking lots of phone calls during speeches from his wife, which audiences <laughs> love. They think it's charming. Uh, no, but uh, more importantly, let's at least acknowledge, just, just as a parenthetical here, that the reason why Trump would and is likely to uh, announce before the midterms is it's a sign of weakness, not a sign of strength, that he sees, yeah. you know, that the tide's going out on him. Things aren't getting better. Yeah. He's got to do it now. For political reasons more than legal reasons, Jonah? Oh, yeah. I think in his mind, these things are very difficult to uh, untangle. Um, I think in that. In his mind, a lot of things are difficult. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think he, he sees a legal strategy as a political strategy and a political strategy as a legal strategy and a PR strategy as whatever. But I think, you know, he probably is as much as anything gets in before the midterms. I mean, the, the argument that persuades him might simply be all your media coverage right now is negative. If you get in, it becomes positive. Um, I'm not saying that that's like the, the, the argument that his advisors think is the best reason to get in now, but it may be the one that, that, that convinces him. But regardless, my only point is, is that, I mean, as I put it in my, Gollum yesterday, um, that no good, very bad, extremely terrible poll, the Siena poll for near Trump Siena poll for, for Biden, which had 94% of Democrats under the age of 30 wanting a different candidate in 24. Like 94 is a big number um, for a party <laughs> that prides, prides it's itself. It's literally like, within the margin of it's, 100%. It's pretty much everybody under the age of 30 who calls themselves a Democrat. That's mm -hmm. significant. 64% of all Democrats wanted somebody else, right? He's wildly historical record shattering unpopular. And yet he still beats Trump in a matchup. And so it's sort of like this thing that Steve and I are obsessed with about Democrats supporting MAGA candidates to screw decent, can to screw decent Republican candidates. Like Biden, I think when you guys are talking about Biden's weird comments about Trump, like, he wants Trump to run because that's the only thing that gets the Democratic Party to rally around him and talk about a collective action problem. I mean, this is the real problem with our democracy. It's in everybody's interest to 
have the worst case scenarios because that has the highest chance of their personal benefit and the lowest chance of the country's benefit. All right, let's do a quick potpourri round because I want to come back to the Democrats funding people who are bad for America. Um, David, uh, is GOP congressional candidate Laverne Spicer correct? There are no pronouns in the Bible. I love that. Oh my God. I, I, I just want to thank that member, uh, whoever it is that asked that John. question. Could, John, thank, thank John. you, John. Cause you just allowed me to share with dispatch members, one of the great Twitter exchanges in all of human history. Wow. That's was, a big thing. Talk about it. No, 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 it's, 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 I, so she t- tweets out there, no pronouns in the Bible, which, um, I think there are more than 20,000 uses of he, um, 10,000 or so uses of she. I, it's r- absurd. How many they's though, David? How many they's? That, well, always <laughs> used is a plural, right? But oh, no, right. thousands <laughs> of they's for plural. But then it then led to a person um, to ask her, tell us all what a pronoun is, was a response. <laughs> and her answer to him, ask Satan. Ask okay. okay I'll that actually, that. Pretty, yeah, that was, that was pretty that's good. I'm not saying he's the best right. Twitter exchange ever, but it's a defensible position. I mean, Twitter exchanges yeah. generally are terrible, but that's, that's a, a pronoun. That's a very good one. Ask that's Satan. a good one. Okay, next potpourri question, and I really like this one. Uh, what book does each person value the most, which is currently in their shot? Mm. Oh, dear God. Wow. <laughs> Value, by the way, was what JP wanted to know. Not which one makes you sound really smart, Jonah. <laughs> I hope you all saw that. That's a great question. I have good books back here, by the way. Okay. Well. <laughs> I have to think about that for a second. Okay. Well, David's like getting up and exploring. By the way, I'm going to count this, but I do have to turn my screen a little, but it was in the shot. Do you see that right there so my dad got that for me for my 21st birthday and is an 1837 copy of the constitution that uh, has the declaration included and a bunch of other papers um and it's beautiful and super cool and i got it in a shadow box a few years back and so in terms of like i thought it was really interesting that, that you said value because that is like in a fire, the thing um, that I would grab and not just because it's in my shot. So. I mean, you, you maybe should have just held that to the end because none of our things are going <laughs> to compare to that. Yeah, no, that's pretty solid. <laughs> um, I'm going to declare uh, a tie, which David will appreciate. I just noticed that uh, the Fellowship of the Ring is right here, oh, um, which is pretty solid. And then Four up here is... Uh, George Nash's The Conservative Intellectual Movement since 1945, which I have read in whole or in part like 18,000 times. Pretty good. Uh, David? So right there Uh is Harper's Pictorial History of the Civil War. And it is a coffee table book dating to the 1960s. I I need to open it. And it was in my grandmother, who is my late grandmother, who's a history teacher, who taught me to love history uh, that was in her living room. And every time I'd come to her house as a young kid, I would open that pictorial history and read it cover to cover and did that countless times. And then 
we would also go together to visit all the Civil War battlefields in the uh, Western theater of the conflicts. And that is that is her book. That's solid. All right, Steve. See, I mean, no like, pressure, Steve. Uh, You've I got think like Steve three is books. the most. It Steve prepare. is the most beautiful, though. Like that, the color that you have on the wall. I don't know if it's paint or wallpaper. It's almost like a greenish. That eh, it's beautiful. My wife is a producer. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, let me be very clear. That was I in no way thought I was complimenting Steve with that. Definitely not me. So um, there's several possibilities. I'm leaving out my books, which are back there. Um, <laughs> the this one is pretty great. The great For book. My hitting family, people in the head. My family ordered this uh, for Christmas one year, and I was so excited to get it because I love Madrid. I have this sort of love affair with Madrid. And they ordered it thinking that it was going to be a great book about Madrid. But it's actually, when, when I opened it, it's a gag book. Like, <laughs> there's nothing in it. <laughs> but they didn't know that when they ordered it for me. So uh, That is actually I was cool. very excited. They were very excited. The, I think probably, and Jonah will appreciate this, and, and you all will be hearing more about this in the, the weeks and months to come, probably the best is Ben Franklin's autobiography. <gasps> oh, I love nice. Ben Franklin's autobiography Which because it makes amazing. him look like such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the things that got me, gave me the courage to go to Jonah and uh, Toby Stock, who is our third co-founder, and proposed the name The Dispatch because Franklin kept using The Dispatch in his autobiography. Uh, and it was sort of perfect because he was talking about sending dispatches and he send newsletters. So it was great, uh, sort of inspired that. But more importantly, Punto. Uh, I, was, I was about to call you on this. Punto. Airbrush it out of history. I'm not. At some point, we're gonna we're gonna bring this out to the the full members. Steve wanted to call this a media company Junto, correct? Which everyone J would have called Junto. Yes, or <laughs> Junta, or Junta. That was the risk. Yeah. Um, okay. Junto was right. Ben Franklin's drinking club. It was a drinking club in which people got together and debated one another for the sole purpose of sharpening their arguments and learning, which I thought was a pretty good idea. It's ben Franklin possible. might have had some other reasons, but who it's knows? It's possible that we will eventually have a Junto Club here at the Dispatch. Um, so, if you all could weigh in on whether that's a good idea in the comments, should be good. Speaking Thanks. of drinking together, last potpourri question. Did Steve and Jonah deliberately schedule the November conference against the National Review Cruise? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm curious. We did yeah. not. Uh, we were worried that they might end up coinciding. But it was a post-election thing, and there were other considerations involved. So, but we would encourage everybody since since well, Sarah, asked, what was that? Are you, somebody are, asked, are you being played by Banquo's ghost? What was that? <laughs> I, She's, is she like, just waving away things again? You know how she does that on the dispatch podcast. I'm really, I'm really getting worried. <laughs> we have two plagues in my house: flies and moths, um, and. If you guys all know me, but you know I won't kill them, and so I have to catch each one and take it outside. Oh and it's just been really time-consuming, really time-consuming. I want to be very clear about this. You should kill them. Definitely. You should kill them without mercy. So, can I take advantage of that question to to offer a brief plug for the the event? In, Please in do. 
Um, we think it's going to be great. We're in the process of confirming speakers. We hope to announce a few here in the coming weeks. Um, but lots of time with Jonah, Sarah, and, and David. Um, and I, I think given what we expect to happen in November, this is going to be a really interesting time for uh, people, for dispatch members, um, dispatch staff, dispatch contributors, um, some special guests to get together and kick this all around for a few days. You should know, I won't go on and on about it, but um, it's at the Ritz-Carlton in Naples. Um, there's a golf course Ritz and a beach, beach Ritz. Um, they're both nice. We decided basically as we thought about how we wanted to do this first conference um, to do it in such a way that we're not even trying to break even on the conference. Um, so effectively what we're charging people is our cost um, plus the hotel room. So um, we're trying to do it in such a way that we get uh, as many people as we can to attend. Uh, the room block is filling up pretty quickly, despite the fact that we haven't announced any speakers. So if you have any interest in going, I would just encourage It's just the four of us. Who think it's, it's just coming, the four of us all uh, day long. I'm bringing cigars, be, you know. There'll there be are sober some four of speakers. us, drunk four of us. <laughs> no, there are some some confirmed speakers. Uh, pretty excited about uh, announcing it, but we're going to wait for a few weeks. Um, but but uh, the, the room block is, if, if you're thinking about doing it, I would just suggest you do it soon. There will be rooms. Most of the activities will be at the golf Ritz-Carlton and the event space is there. There will be rooms. There are a few rooms uh, left at the golf Ritz-Carlton. Um, the beach Ritz-Carlton, which is 10 minutes away, the shuttle uh, can accommodate more of us. Um, and it's nice. It's really nice. But I think sign up soon if you're interested in coming. That's in the end. Okay. Uh, I do want to talk about the Peter Meyer thing because it is in some ways the most egregious version of what we've been seeing now for months, wherein Democrat committees pour money into Republican primary races in the hopes of boosting the more beatable candidate. Now, I think it's worth saying they don't run ads that say like Doug Mastriano is amazing. What they do is they run ads saying Doug Mastriano is super conservative. He's like right. basically the same as Donald Trump. Uh, and this has a few effects. It ups the name ID of the person running enormously. I mean, that's really what TV advertisements are for, for the most part. And then in a Republican primary saying the person is super duper like whack job conservative, of course, is saying something good about them. Now, I've been criticized in the comment section on the dispatch pod, and I understandably so, this idea that like I'm being harder on the Democrats for boosting them than I am on the Republicans for voting for the person. Fair and not fair. I want to defend myself a little bit here, which is if all you're seeing are TV ads saying that this person is super conservative and they're like Donald Trump, and they don't tell you any of the crazy stuff because the Democrats aren't running those ads, then yeah, I, I do think those are kind of equivalent in terms of their morality because um, Democrats know those things and are choosing not to tell voters those if they actually wanted to hurt the candidate. They're telling them things that the Republican primary voters things that they know will appeal to Republican primary voters. So this happened in Pennsylvania, and I was willing to asterisk that one because Doug Mastriano won by so much, it was clear that the Democrats' ads didn't actually make a huge difference. And I thought Josh Shapiro's explanation that like he was so far ahead, he was clearly my opponent, I was basically trying to rough him up before he could even like start putting out general election ads was at least plausible. 
that has ended. There is no more plausible explanation for so many of these. Um, Peter Meyer, one of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach the president, uh, Democrats, the D-trip, uh, is running ads for his like super MAGA primary opponent. And so, I mean, I just- Can you just explain D- yeah. D-trip? The D-triple the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Um, the official, this is not yeah. just Nancy Pelosi's super PAC, which has intervened in other races, um, the Dave Valadeo, I mean, <laughs> uh, the D- this is the actual Democratic Congressional Campaign yep. Committee spending nearly half a million dollars on someone who is an open and uh, proud election truther, a lot of the conspiracy theories. And the same campaign committee who has also said, why aren't there any normal Republicans we can work with? Why aren't right. Republicans standing up against exactly. Donald Trump? Maybe it's because when you stand up against Donald Trump, not only you get primaried from the right, but Democrats pour money into primarying you as well from the right. Uh, it It's so angering. And don't forget, by the way, set aside even pouring the money into these ads, Adam Kinzinger, also one of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump, they just districted him out. They got rid yeah. of his congressional district so that he couldn't run again. So- if Peter Meyer loses his race, that'll be at least two of the eight that Democrats uh, actually defeated um, of the 10 who voted for impeachment. I, like, it's not really a question, and I'm sorry we're all going to agree on this, but I just want to hear the various levels of power. Yeah, so like, I, I, I think you're being way too kind to the people who are giving you grief about this. Because I agree. Uh, Sarah doesn't need us to defend her. You defended yourself at, very well, but like, yeah, so like you're I, right. I, I've been getting. Right. I, I wrote a G file about this about three weeks ago. I got into a fight about this again on Twitter last night. Um, when the ten Republicans voted to impeach, as 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 one, liberal elites, Democratic office holders, right thinking people across the left of center said, "This is like the remnant." of the old GOP of decent, serious people who had, who put the country first and they were bold and courageous and we salute them. They should all get Harvard profiles and courage award. Thank God for these people. And, you know, it was like, it was like a thousand Eugene Robinson columns all screaming at once um, about, you know, concern trolling about how whatever happened to the GOP, the, these are the people. And then the Democrats, who say, who literally say routinely, these MAGA, these ultra MAGA guys are a threat to democracy. They pose an existential threat to our democratic values and our democratic system of government. And that's why we're going to give them tens of millions of dollars to make sure that they win their primaries. It is utterly indefensible. Totally. And the idea that somehow, well, this is how all politics works. They're right. If we're talking about 2004 and Claire McCaskill picking her opponent, fine. But we're talking about either you're lying when you say these people pose an existential threat to democracy, or you're not. And if you're if if you if you take it seriously, then you should be condemning the hell out of doing this. And if you don't take it seriously, you're a cynical sob. But there's no way you can say both things and not be guilty of either lying, hypocrisy, or severe cognitive dissonance. And the, and the crazy guy might win. 
Right. I mean, this For is sure. the thing we learned in 2016. I yeah. mean, there was all in a these Republican year. Yeah. All these Democrats were chortling at Donald Trump. Ha ha. Look at what a mess the Republican Party is. They've they've nominated Donald Trump. I can't wait for Hillary Clinton's presidency. Whoops. You know, and next thing you know, you've got hydroxychloroquine Harry in Congress. <laughs> you know, and, Love that guy. Yeah, he's, he's been <laughs> tremendous. Uh, and But their and, pushback, David, their pushback on Twitter of like real Democratic strategists. Uh, and by the way, David Axelrod, for instance, has said this is yeah. uh, immoral and should be stopped. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. saying every Democratic strategist is supporting this. In fact, the vast majority seem not to. But for the ones that are defending it, they're saying, look, I hear you kind of, but the vast majority of Republicans are kowtowing to this guy. And therefore it is the most important thing to put as many Democrats in office to have a democratic majority. And if this is the path to do it, then that's the path to do it because having a couple good Republicans isn't going to fix what's wrong with the Republican party. Um, okay. I just go back to what Jonah said. This is not normal politics, right? And if you're saying that the Republican Party is a threat to democracy and the hardcore ultra MAGA wing is a threat to democracy, helping them win is a threat to democracy, you know? Oh. And this idea, and also this idea that sort of says in this very closely divided country that the way to reform the Republicans is by burying them. Good luck with that. Good yeah, luck that, with that. That's burn it down all over again. It's not just it burn it down all over again. It's the same thing. Same yeah. Thing. And I'm well, glad so you said, Sarah, that I, and look, I'm not a person who sits there and, and spends much time excusing the choices of Republican primary voters. I got a lot of, pro I, I feel like uh, George Costanza's dad at Festivus. I got a lot of problems with you people, <laughs> Republican primary voters. But a lot of these ads, you know, one of them, I think, involving, you know, Meyer's opponent was like, he's for patriotic education. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, no. What do you know? Now that's. And then they're hitting Republican primary voters for voting for someone who believes in election fraud and all this stuff. Well, that's not what you told them. So, mm -hmm. I, yes, they are responsible for, I guess, not doing more research on the candidates. But when you put a half a million dollar worth of ads up saying, here's what you need to know about this guy, he's super conservative and he's for patriotic education, then the blame is shared. Um, yeah. And when Doug Mastriano becomes governor of Pennsylvania, yeah. which is a coin flip right now, I'm not saying he will, coin flip though. Um, you know, the it's 2016. The dude blew again. a shofar when he announced his candidacy. Like that's how Christian nationalist he is. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. The video. So me, He's going to change his title to Lord Commander quickly. of All the Pens. <laughs> let me just jump on this real quickly because I have, yes, a, I have a lot of, I have a lot of, I have a lot of good sort of rage you know, issues. Trump, Trump skeptical <clears throat> friends, never Trump friends, um, and some of them have just decided that the 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 way to to win here, to win here, is just to embrace Democrats. And in my view, that's basically going from polarization. And being part of the polarization problem on one side to being part of the polarization problem on the other side. But of course, blame Republican primary voters if they pick somebody like John Gibbs, who's, who's uh, Myers' opponent in, in Michigan. But the idea that you would sort of shrug off what the Democrats are doing here is absurd. And for, for you know, conservative or right leaning Trump opponents who say, yeah, no big deal that Democrats are doing this. It makes sense. It maybe 
maybe Democrats can pick off these seats and then it will deny Republicans. Jonah's right that it's burn it all down all over again. And the burn it all down thing never made sense. The burn it all down argument was in before the 2020 election, basically like never vote for any Republican, no matter what, even if you've got a Republican that you like, because if you just vote for Democrats and deny Republicans these seats, Republican Party will disintegrate and then we could start over again. It was, I mean, it was fanciful, sort of silly argument intellectually, but the, the very same people who made that argument before the 2020 election are embracing exactly the kind of leaders, conservative leaders, who are attempting to uh, move the Republican Party away from Donald Trump. So, like, if burn it all down had happened, and again, this was all a hypothetical, it never was actually going to happen, Liz Cheney would have been voted out of Congress. Well, Liz Cheney is playing a pretty important role right now in arguing against Donald Trump. She wouldn't be there in a position to do that. So I guess I, I have a hard time with, with some of the, the never Trump arguments that Democrats are the answer and that if Democrats are spending in favor of MAGA Republicans, we should not really think it's that big a deal because the problem really lies with, them, with Republican primary voters. Blame Republican primary voters. But the idea that Democrats at this point are spending money on behalf of kooky conspiracy theorists so that they might have a shot at winning elections. Part of the problem here is people who are skeptical of our system of government, skeptical of the elections. All you're doing is feeding that cynicism. You're exacerbating the problem. And any even partial, however qualified defense of that is wrong. All right, ending question, and it's a quickie. Uh, first of all, though, before we end, um, David, in our personal chat, decided to like let us know more about the phrase bow up <laughs> and included its proper usage you better grow up before you bow up son yeah <laughs> i love it <laughs> yep. said those uh, words many times many many times, times i'm sure <laughs> um okay uh, we have a question of who each of us would like to see run for president um and i will go first because the answer is clearly Jared Polis running with Mitch Daniels. I don't even care who's on top. Mitch um, Daniels is good. Jared Polis is the governor of, he's the Democratic governor of Colorado, but kind of a mavericky Democrat. And he put out this fundraising pitch today. Last year, I emailed you to share the good news that Colorado was tied for first for the state with the fewest shark attacks. It has a visual. <laughs> so now as we kick off shark week i wanted to share an important update and that update is that colorado has once again had zero shark attacks so far in 2022 <laughs> but here's the problem it turns out many voters don't know that colorado is faring so much better than other states when it comes to shark attacks <laughs> and then of course he asked for money to get that message out like yep that's the president i need that he has my vote on the shark attack email alone Strong. i'm in yeah. Who do you guys want? Oh, well, I told David last week that, um, I'm, you know, what is two thumbs and loves democracy, this guy, but, um, I'm all in for a Mitch Daniels Regency yes. until okay. the country gets its stuff, its act in order. I wrote in Mitch Daniels in 2020. Um, Mitch Daniels is my spirit animal. I spent four years of the Trump administration saying how I really love the parallel universe the alternative timeline where the biggest scandal was that Mitch Daniels didn't wear a tie when he was eating soup at the resolute <laughs> desk. 
Um, uh, so I'm a Mitch Daniels guy. That's who I'd love to see be president of the United States for as long as he'd like to be. As George Will said, Purdue got the president America needed. <laughs> <laughs> He's leaving line. Purdue. So uh, my... My He's husband's running. Third, tongues, tongues wagging, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I talked to him of, pretty in recently. The of true transparency. There are literally dozens of us. Because that's what the dispatch is all about. Uh -huh. um, people should know that we have invited Mitch Daniels <gasps> to the conference in Naples. Um, we have, I, I'm assuming Mitch Daniels did not leave the presidency of Purdue University to run for president of the United States. I don't think so. But if he did, we'd love to have him talk about that. If he didn't, <laughs> we'd love to have him talk about higher education. Yeah. Or debt. Yeah. Or keeping the republic. Or anything else. He wrote a book in, in 2011 called Keeping the Republic. And it was this sort of stark embracing warning about what would happen to the country if we went another decade without getting serious about our problems around the debt, government spending, what have you. And here we are 12 years later. Not only have we not addressed that in a serious fashion, we just said like, eh, screw it. We're going to do whatever we want. So, so I would love to have Mitch Daniels. We've not heard back from him. We've reached out to him. Um, maybe you're watching tonight, um, Governor <laughs> Daniels, Director Daniels. We'd love to have you. So uh, we at the dispatch, we do not do endorsements. At least that's the policy so far. We do not maybe, do endorsements. Maybe Until one day. Mitch runs. Then well, no, no. I'm not going to say uh, we're not going to change the policy for this. But if he came to the Naples thing, it is entirely possible. Wow. That no, 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 not endorsements. But that when he entered the room, he would be carried on a litter born by <laughs> several of the members of this podcast. The entire <laughs> not saying we wear Egyptian garb or any of that kind of stuff. I'll wear whatever he wants. This can be like some Jabba the Hutt shit. I'm picturing Jonah in a toga, and this is not where I wanted this conversation no. to go. All right. I think we're going to actually leave it there. Thank but you. David didn't get the answer. David has to answer. I mean, look, I spent more years trying to get Mitt Romney to be president of the United States than fair. everybody here yeah. combined. So That's totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> True facts. Yeah. Facts. But like, let's assume because we can't have nice things, he's not going to run. Uh, of the people who might actually run, look, I mean, most predictable answer in the world, Liz Cheney, but we can't have nice things. So she probably could. don't roll your eyes at me. We're supposed to answer honestly to this question. So yeah. Mitt or Liz. She's going to be reelected to her house seat, David. Don't you think she's going to be? Which is the launching pad for the national election, Steve. And not sure she's going to be reelected to her house. <laughs> uh, it is worth mentioning that every week we get the same question from Tanner. And so Tanner, here you go. You're getting your question. <laughs> I'm going to ask this until I get an answer. Cast the inevitable January 6th movie. And he's right about this, that it should be called Will Be Wild. Great biopic name. <laughs> yeah. Really good. And tell me why Liz Cheney shouldn't be played by Laura Linney. I, I actually kind of want to leave that hanging in the air and have us all come up with who should play Liz Cheney. If not, Laura Linney, just because Tanner keeps asking this, and so obviously Tanner's wrong. He has some insecurity about his Laura Linney pick, and I think we can do better. I have an um, answer, but we'll wait. We'll I see. don't even know any of these people. I don't know who Okay, well, that was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> this gives you a week to look it up. <laughs> Thank you 
so much for joining us. And thank you to the three of you for being on your medium behavior, if not best behavior. And we will see you all again very soon. Now, let me find that moth. <laughs> <laughs> um.